Now, why would God be so concerned with idolatry? It's easy because God was the one that created all of us and he wants all of us to worship him and him alone. And when he sees us running to drugs or running to alcohol or running to pornography or running to another relationship, how it must cause him pain because what God wants is for us to run to him. He is the God of all comfort. Can someone say amen to that? Good evening. I'm Kyle Welch, and welcome to Lift Up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. We are here every night at this time on KKLA to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to lift up His name to the entire city of Los Angeles. No matter if you are listening tonight from your car or at home or in your place of work, we believe that tonight's sermon from Pastor Dudley will be a blessing to all our listeners. So if you can, get out your Bibles and let's join Pastor Dudley right now with tonight's message. So last week we left off where the kingdom split, and as the kingdom splits, the people begin to worship false gods. So the four major points of this particular message or time period, number one, is God sends the messengers. He sends the prophets, the watchmen on the wall. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. It's the last chapter in Chronicles. First and Second Chronicles go side by side with First and Second Kings. It's really the same period. The Bible says that the Lord, everyone say the Lord, the God of their fathers sent word to them through the messengers again and again and again and again. And that's what you see During this period of the kings, you also have this period of the prophets where God sends his messengers. And now the reason God sends his messengers is because he had pity or he had compassion out of his love for his people and the dwelling place, his dwelling place. But verse 16 is what they did with the messengers and the message. And this is in Israel's history. They mocked You would think they would listen to God's messengers, but they mocked God's messengers. They despised God's words, and they scoffed at God's prophets until eventually the wrath of God was aroused against his people because there was no other remedy. God sends the prophets. It's a small force of spiritual warriors that desire to restore Israel's relationship with God. They strive to put the nation back on the track towards righteousness. Each prophet was chosen and called by God. They came from different walks of life. Some were priests like Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Some came from royal birth such as Isaiah and Daniel Amos was a lowly shepherd. Some came from the city. Some came from the country. Some wrote poetically. Some wrote with rugged uh, bluntness. 
But they were all led by the Spirit of God, and they gave careful detail to the instructions of God. I want you to write this down in that box underneath your point number one. In the Bible, we have 55 prophets. There were many, many more prophets. There were literally hundreds of other prophets. We have 55 names. 48 of them were men, and seven of them were women. Let's hear it for the women. All right, we got women prophets. Not all of them, this is what's important, not all of them had books in the Bible. Only 17 had books in the, uh, in the Bible. And uh, if you read through the Old Testament, they put all the prophets uh, together. So as you read through the Bible, literally the last 17 books of the Old Testament are all prophets. We have what's called five major and 12 minor. The only difference between the major and the minor is the length of the book. So Isaiah, that's a really long book. So he, he's, a, he, he's a major prophet. Jeremiah, it's a really long book. Major prophet. Ezekiel, a really long book. Have you ever been reading through the Bible and you get to the book of Isaiah and you go, oh no, I'll never get through Isaiah? And, and then you find the little tiny books, the minor prophets like Amos and Obadiah is one chapter and, and Jonah and Haggai and Malachi and oh, you can't, oh, I can't wait to read the little. T-. Well, do not make the mistake to think that the little prophets are not important because they are just as important because they're all prophets all sent to deliver a word from God. Now, two of the most well-known prophets that did not have their own books, and this is point number two, I want you to write these two guys down, Elijah and Elisha. That's the second major thing of this time period. And these two fellows, again, preached or prophesied during the period of the divided kingdom. Now, these two guys had a lot of things in common. They both were appointed by God. They both worked with the other prophets, and I gave you some Bible verses, you can look those up. They both were empowered by God to do miracles. They both had unusual things that happened to them when they departed this life. Elijah, the guy with the J, he was one day walking down the road with Elisha. They were walking side by side. And the Bible explains that as they were walking down the road, and they're just talking to each other, these two preachers, these two prophets, all of a sudden from heaven down came what's called a chariot of fire. A chariot of fire. How many have ever heard of that phrase, the chariot of fire? It came from heaven, but the Bible says there was something else that came down. It wasn't just the chariot of fire. It also says there were horses of fire. Chariots of fire horses of fire and they came down and they landed right in between the two prophets now you can imagine if you and i are walking down the road and a big chariot of fire horse come down land we're going to separate and that's exactly what happened elijah went over here and elisha went over there and then the bible says that a whirlwind just took elijah just picked him up and took elijah right on up to heaven he didn't even die god just took him up to heaven uh, in those chariots and the horses of fire. How many of you like to go to heaven like that? Oh, yeah, that's exciting. Well, that would be fun right there. When Elisha dies, they dug a big hole, and they just threw him down in that hole, and they hadn't covered him up yet. And at the exact same time, they were burying another guy, and we don't know what his name is. So we're just going to make up a name. Someone give me a name. George. Did you say George? George, Okay. And the Bible says that they're digging up his grave, and they look up, and here comes the raiders. And they got so scared, 
for their own life, they just took George and they just threw him over into the hole where Elisha was. And the Bible says that when George's bones touched Elisha's bones, that George came to life. He resurrected. And he walked out of the grave in his own two feet. Can you imagine that? So they both, they had a lot of things in common, but they also had some things where there were differences. Elijah was poor. Elisha was probably wealthy because the Bible says he had 12 oxen. Their personalities were different. Elijah had, had highs and lows. Sometimes he'd be really happy. Sometimes he'd go into a deep depression. We never see that in Elisha. Uh, we know in 2 Kings 1.8 that Elijah, it says that he was hairy. Elisha was bald. So, so they had some differences. They were different in ministry because it appears that Elisha's ministry was greater than Elijah's. It appears that way. I want you to take your Bibles quickly and turn to 2 Kings 2 verse 8. 2 Kings 2 8. I want to read through some of this. God had revealed to Elisha and Elijah and all the other prophets that God was about to take Elijah home. They all, somehow they all knew this. So in verse 8, Elijah took his cloak, just his coat, and struck the water, because they're right there by the river Jordan. They couldn't get across. And the Bible says as soon as Elijah took his cloak, remember they could both do miracles, when his cloak hit the water, the Bible says that the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them just crossed over on dry ground. How, how, how many of you would like any river you came to? Just took off your coat, touched the water, and just walked across. The, how cool would that be? Verse 9, after they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha. Now, Elisha had just seen Elijah part the waters. Elijah says, tell me what, what I can do for you, Elisha, before I'm taken from you. And Elisha asked, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. I just saw you part the Give me a double that. <laughs> and so verse 10, you have asked, he says, for a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, this double portion, otherwise, otherwise not. And here it is, verse 11, I explained it to you earlier, now you can read it. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared, separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a what? In a whirlwind. Now, Elisha sees it, so evidently he received a double portion of that spirit. And if you study it, his ministry, it lasts twice as long as Elijah's ministry. Elisha also performs twice as many miracles as Elijah. Elijah performed seven miracles. Elisha performs 14 miracles. So it appears that he had a greater ministry than Elijah, but I want you to write this down. Elijah, his ministry was far more dominant than Elisha, if you truly study the Scriptures. At first, you think Elisha's is greater, but when you study it, Elijah had the, the more impact. Elijah spent most of his ministry confronting the powerful worldly figures like Ahab and Jezebel and Ahaziah. And most of Elijah's miracles were more dramatic 
You remember when he called fire from heaven and fire comes shooting down out of heaven and consumes the altar? In the Old Testament, Elijah towers over all the other people in the Old Testament except two people. The three greatest figures, Abraham, Moses, and Elijah. I want you to write this down. In the New Testament, Elijah is mentioned by name 29 times. And Elisha is only mentioned once. But both men and all the prophets primarily dealt with one thing. I want you to write this down. This is Roman numeral number three. They primarily dealt with this thing called idolatry. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn back to 1 Kings chapter 16. I know you're skipping around here, but go to 1 Kings 16. The Bible says in verse 29 that in the 38th year of Asa, the king of Judah, Ahab, everyone say Ahab. He's the son of Omri. He became king of Israel, the north. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel for 22 years. This is the king of Israel. Verse 30. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those who had served before him. He was a wicked, evil king. Verse 31 says that Ahab, he not only considered it trivial, just trivial, to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Naboth, but he also married that evil woman named Jezebel, who was the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and he began to serve. This is the king of Israel. Begins to serve Baal. He begins to worship Baal. Verse 32, Ahab sets up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built there in Samaria. And then it even gets worse in verse 33. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did He did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. And so God sent the prophets to speak against three things. The primary thing that the prophets spoke against was idolatry. Idolatry was the number one sin in the Old Testament. Over a thousand verses are dedicated to talking about idolatry. Idolatry is one of four commandments in the Bible that have the death penalty attached to it. Now, why would God be so concerned with idolatry? It's easy, because God was the one that created all of us, and He wants all of us to worship Him and Him alone. And so anytime we worship something else or somebody else, it bothers God. And when he sees us running to drugs or running to alcohol or running to pornography or running to another relationship, how it must cause him pain because what God wants is for us to run to him. He is the God of all comfort. Can someone say amen to that? I want you to go to chapter 17, verse 1. Go to chapter 17, verse 1. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, this, this evil king, he says, as the Lord the God of Israel lives whom I serve, 
There will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, you might not know much about that except you, you have to hear this. That Baal, the false god Baal, was predominantly the false god of weather. He was the false god of rain. And so God, through the prophet, says, delivers a message to Ahab, you want to worship the false god Baal, the god of rain? Well, I got some news for you. God sent me to tell you, to warn you, that there's not going to be any rain for the next few years. You can go ahead and worship the false god of Baal, but there's not going to be any rain, God says, until I say it's going to rain. So you can worship whatever God you want to worship, but it's not going to rain. See, I don't think we should be surprised when there's a drought in our lives that matches up with something that has become equal to God in our lives. Now, the opposite of that is true, and hear me out, hear me out. You should not be surprised if God is in his rightful place and he's the most important thing in your life. Do not be surprised when it starts to rain the blessing of God upon your life when he is the most important. (laughs) Write these three things down quickly, quickly. They preached against idolatry. They always spoke of a future judgment. You cannot read the prophets. Read all 17 of them over and over again. The prophets always had this thing that said, hey, if you don't repent, the judgment of God is going to fall. And the third thing, they told of a Messiah that would eventually come and rescue the people of Israel. So that after the judgment fell, which you're going to see in a couple of weeks, that the people in their misery and in their broken state, when they're in the middle of judgment, they would think back, oh, I remember what the preacher said, that even in our misery, that one day God would send a Messiah. We have found hundreds of verses that predict the first coming of Jesus Christ. We have found hundreds of verses that talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. But one of the most beautiful, moving, powerful, prophetic, depicting story of God's restoration is found in our fourth point as we close, is the story of the love of God, the story of God's love which as we close is found in the prophet Hosea. Hosea was a preacher, okay? He was a prophet. And he was told to go and marry a prostitute. Think about that. He told the prophet to go marry a prostitute, and then he told him the name of the prostitute was name was Gomer. So... Hosea goes down to the red light district, and he's looking for Gomer. And someone points her out. She's over there. He runs over. He pays for her, takes her home. He marries her. He loves her. He cares for her. He provides for her, gives her a home, a marriage, a relationship, someone who loves her for who she is. 
And one day, Hosea comes home, and he, he can't find Gomer. Honey! And he goes back down to the red light district. And there she is, standing on the street corner, got her arm around another man, walking him into a house of prostitution. And Hosea says to God, what do you want me to do now, God? And God said these words to Hosea in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. He said, go, you go show your love to her again. And he takes her home and loves her as his wife. It's one of the greatest stories in the whole Bible. It's a story of love that depicts a God who loves us so much that he'll do anything to get you to come home. You would think that just because God created us and provided for us, you would think that we would serve him just because he's God. You would think that we would be faithful to him just because he's God. You would think that we would love him just because he's God. You would think that we would honor him in all that we do just because he's God. But instead, we choose to sin. We choose to lie. We choose to run. We've chosen to be unfaithful. We've made conscious decisions to rebel against God. And unbelievably, while we're out being unfaithful, while we're out sinning, God in his great love, at great expense, sacrifices his son Jesus for the purpose of redeeming us and restoring us and buying us back. And this whole story, the whole Bible, is God warning you people to wake up. Judgment is coming. That's what this book is all about. But if you'll come to Christ and understand that God loves you so much that God has a Savior where he will restore you and redeem you and make you whole again. If you were moved by Pastor Dudley's message tonight, we want you to know we have phone counselors standing by and ready to pray with you right now. Our number is simple to dial. It's 888-818-4777. Again, that number is 888-818-4777. We are ready for any prayer requests or needs you may have. Ephesians 6 reminds us of the many gifts we have been given by God. And prayer is one of the greatest assets we have as Christians to fend off any attack by the enemy. So please don't hesitate to call us if you are alone and need to pray with someone right now. If you would like more information about Pastor Dudley Rutherford, Shepherd Church, or this ministry, be sure to visit our website, liftupjesus.com. Wouldn't it be great if there were accessible answers to our spiritual problems? Just like there's a smartphone app for calculating a tip or getting directions to a local store. Most of us have heard the phrase, there's an app for that, popularized by the creators of the iPhone. Well, God has an app for the common problems faced by Christians everywhere. Are you stressed out? God has an app for that. Problem with crude language or gossip? Struggling with prejudice? Brokenhearted? Anxious? Or depressed? God has an app for that too. 
Pastor Dudley's book, God Has an App for That, is available now for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. This helpful resource can be yours right now by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. You can also get God Has an App for That on our website, liftupjesus.com. That address again is liftupjesus.com. Come and explore the book of James and discover God's user-friendly solutions for some of the biggest challenges we all face daily. Get your copy of Pastor Dudley's book, God Has an App for That, today. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us every weeknight at this same time here on KKLA as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.